Church, good morning again. It's good to see everybody here today. Pastor Taylor um, is um, vacationing in Belize today, so <laughs> God bless him. Um, no, he, he's with the mission team down there, so uh, they're, they're doing a good work. You know, last week, um, you know, we've been working through Matthew, and uh, last week we, we talked about um, what we call the rich young ruler. I think uh, Matthew brings him as, he, he finally gets around to be calling him young, but he just says a man comes up, and then finally says he's young. Mark, from the beginning, says he's a young man. They both make the point that um, he either owned a lot of property or he had a fair amount of wealth. Uh, it's not until you get to Luke that he's called a ruler. And so he's the rich young ruler. And I noticed in my um, Bible that, that, that I read um, it, um, regularly, it, it, you know, they have the little, I guess, uh, titles between sections, you know, as you go through the gospel. And in Matthew, it calls him the rich young ruler, even though it never says he's a ruler. But because he's just so iconic, I mean, he's like the good Samaritan. He's just a story. It's, I mean, it's a story we know. It's, and so he's always the rich young ruler, even when he's not a ruler in Matthew. But he is a ruler. Um, and he comes up to Jesus and he says, uh, what good thing shall I do to obtain eternal life? And, of course, um, I, I kind of suspect when I hear that question, I just think it just seems so wrong in so many ways. Uh, except I think there's something within that culture, and, and I think uh, that would uh, that maybe gives a little more insight to it. Uh, Jesus says, keep the commandments. And he says, which ones? Again, it just doesn't, that doesn't sound like a good um, leader of the Jewish people to come up and say, which one? Uh, you know, and Jesus says, he says, don't murder, uh, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness. And then that, uh, that sort of summary of, we also call, often call the horizontal uh, uh, law, the second tablet, the, the commandments between um, people um, uh, versus the Godward ones in which we um, worship only God. Um, he says then, love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, the guy says, done that, you know, check, 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 done that, done that, done that. And then he says, um, you know, so what am I lacking? <laughs> and, uh, again, that's the third time. It just sounds really interesting. Um, but nonetheless, um, Jesus says, if you want to be complete, uh, literally the word there is, if you want to be perfect, he says, sell everything, give all your possessions to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. But again, that's not enough. And then he says, and follow me. And of course, as uh, Pastor Taylor shared last week, um, we, uh, many of us could tell what, what, that, what that one, he didn't mention all those last five commands. He missed the one about not to covet. And, uh, and of course, this whole thing brings to um, the point for the young man is that um, he had a covetous heart. And so that's what had to be dealt with. It says that the rich young ruler, he went away grieving because he owned a lot of property. Now, some have actually noticed the, the, the similarities to this man and to Saul of Tarsus before he became Paul of Jesus. And they have even speculated that maybe they're the same man. You know, they're both Jewish men, they're both rulers, they're both affluent, uh, they're both very much anchored in Judea, and the, and the geography definitely matters here. They ha both had some kind of zeal for the law, 
but they both struggled with covetousness. In fact, one place Paul says that sin took opportunity in me and produced every kind of covetousness out there. And by that we mean um, lust or um, inordinate desire for anything. They were both loved by Christ. You know Paul was. He talked often of Christ's love for him. Um, I think the Mark's example that when the rich young man says, hey, I've done it all, what else do I need to do? It actually says, Jesus loved him and then gave him the answer. It's sort of an interesting phrase for one of these kind of conversations that Jesus has. And they're both called to follow Jesus. Now, it's not likely that they were the same person. There's other things you can point out that might not be. There's just too much space between them. But you can make a certain argument here that they both really do exemplify almost the epitome of Judaism of that time in its crossroads when it comes to have to face Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. Paul was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm sure the rich young ruler had been circumcised. He was of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. Not sure about the other man. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul said, as to the law, which was very important, I'm a Pharisee, which meant he was with the strict guys. As to zeal, he said, I'm a persecutor of the church. And in this context, that's a good thing. I mean, as he's seeing it, he's, that, that would be a mark of who he is in a good way. And he just says, as to the righteousness found in the law, the law that talked of the righteousness of God, the law is exemplified, he said, I'm blameless. Now, we all want to choke on that, but I don't think he was. And he was saying it as a Christian, who'd been a Christian for a while, a believer, follower of Jesus. He was saying, the idea of blameless didn't mean he was sinless. He lived within the system God had given as he understood it and everybody else had understood it rightly. And so he was doing really, really good on his way to wherever you have to go. But then he gets a new understanding on his back on the road going to Damascus and suddenly he considers all of this just confidence in the flesh. And the flesh here means, and so it's, it's just, it, it could be the sinful nature, but it just means the weakness and the fallacy of humanity. So he's saying the epitome of God's real, um, dealing with man at this point was like the flesh to him. He actually became through, through faith in Christ the true circumcised, as you all are if you are in Christ. You have been circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. You are the, and in one place he says, you are the true circumcised. What he once considered gain, he now counted loss for Christ. He actually suffered the loss of all things for Christ. He considered them as rubbish, and as others have shared, that's a polite way of saying whatever that word is in the Greek. And with this new understanding, he also said, I was the chief of sinners. I was a blasphemer. I was a violent man. I was an insolent man. And this new, thing, this new perspective on life that he finds in Christ changes everything for him. So now that he's a believer, he is doing everything that he is called to do to be found in him. He, he trusts on Christ. He does not have a righteousness of his own derived from the law. Not even going to try that nonsense anymore. He's going to have a righteousness now that is through 
with faith in Christ, that Christ imputes to him, he credits to him through faith. He knows Jesus Christ, his Lord, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. All of this so that he might arrive, however God plans it, whether he dies as a martyr or he dies in his bed somewhere, to arrive at the resurrection from the dead. What the rich young ruler did not embrace, by faith the apostle Paul did. And he says elsewhere, if we are united with Jesus in his death, certainly we shall be united with him in his resurrection. And not only that, we will begin to walk in newness of life, which leads to our text this morning. So please, if you are able, please stand with me as we pray that we read the scriptures and then we confess the supremacy of the word. Philippians, we're going to Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, going through 16. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Church, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, it'll stand forever. This is the word of our God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As I did not pray before, let me go and do so now. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we do ask that you open our eyes for it. Um, this is a call for all of us. We pray that um, we will learn something about it today, and we would do it better. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. we read that, you probably could tell that there's one verbal idea that's sort of the main verb of the whole, I, I, the whole text. And it's those little words, I press on. He says it twice. The first time in verse 12, he says, I press on to make it my own. And then he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Interesting that little word to press on can also be translated, it comes from a root word, means I follow on. Which is not inappropriate for what Jesus, he's ultimately, Jesus has called him to do. And so he says, this is the one thing I do. You know, we find somebody um, with the stature that Paul has for us, obviously. And he wants to say, and he wants to talk about this Christ who he was, cruci who, uh, he was crucified in. And now he serves in his life. He says, one thing I do. So the apostles says, I want to tell you, I, one thing. If you have all the great men of God that come in, just tell us the one thing. We want to hear that. 
He says, one thing I do, he follows Christ. The, the, the one thing the uh, rich young ruler didn't want to do, he could not follow Christ, but the one thing he, uh, Paul does is just the opposite. He's pressing on further into Christ. And so let's look at our text here this morning. Let's look again at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That little word, this. I have not yet attained this. The this was with the previous verses, and we had talked about them. It was being conformed to Christ, being joined to Christ, and ultimately being a part of the resurrection from the dead. And we look at this, and, and, and part of us goes, well, obviously you're not there. Some think Paul is just here maybe simply... Um, this is simply like a, a natural follow-up to the previous glories of knowing Christ. Um, here's part B. Here you, we talked about um, um, justification. You've been declared righteous in Christ. Now let's talk about sanctification. What it means to grow in Christ and maybe start looking like him. But others think that he is probably addressing um, some of the kinds of things he would later find in Corinth. Um, in a very serious way, some ideas that the people in a sense have, have already arrived. That they believe in some sense maybe the resurrection happened, they are to be treated as royalty, they are to get all the benefits of the, the, um, the, the, the resurrection and the new creation, the new age to come, it's now. In Corinth, he actually had to chastise them. Let's put up 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, already... You have all you want already. You have become rich without us. You have become kings and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. He's saying it would be great if you really were kings because we'd be kings and it's here. And then he goes on to talk about being the dregs of all, of all men. You're prudent in Christ, he says. You're strong, you're distinguished. And you treat each other like that. He thinks maybe some of that's maybe kind of getting in maybe to the Philippian church. And so Paul wants them to know how they are to live. If indeed they are crucified with Christ as he is. And if indeed he lives now, the Christ, he, Christ lives in him. And if the, the, fight, the, the life they live now by faith, uh, they're also to be that way. Let's see what it looks like. And if we have been, they have been raised with Christ, let's see what that looks like now. And to reinforce that, he says, nor am I already perfect to make that point. And we all know where Jesus, the first place you hear this word in, in the book of Matthew that we've looked at is Jesus says, be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. And you'll see that word, it translates in a different way, the Greek word that's behind it or the Greek family of words. Sometimes it means maturity. Sometimes it means being complete, and um, the translators are kind of move them in there, but they're all the same words. And so here he says, I'm not perfect. You know, I was reading about uh, a, a preacher, remember, and I've never heard a preacher say this, but he had heard another preacher say, and he, he, he said he's absolutely honest. He says, I have not sinned in 26 years. That would be cool. But I have seen lots of people say, I have not sinned in a week, or I have not sinned in a month. 
I can't actually say I have not sinned since I got up here. You have a very deficient view of what sin is in man. But they were having this sort of idea of this, they've kind of arrived there and, and, and sin was not the issue. And I think in some of these cases, that I, I know there's one particular um, cult group, I mean, we would call them that now, that was on the college campuses. And their idea was, John somewhere says, um, whoever's born again um, does not sin. And so uh, they would take that in the wrong way and they go, that means anything I do is not it's not computed as a sin. The Corinthians would say, um, they would say, everything is acceptable to me. And Paul would say, no, not really. And so maybe some of that was getting in there. What John actually says then in another place, he says that if we have, if we say that we do not have sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Give us this day our day, uh, forgive us our day, our daily debts, our sins. We pray regularly the Lord's Prayer to be forgiven of our debts because we sin. Now, perfection is the goal. Look at Hebrews 12, 2. It says, looking to Jesus. And it's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Be looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. This whole process is that. Christ has founded the faith and Christ will perfect the faith, but he will do it. But in the meantime, I press on, and our, our scripture says, I make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's the ESV, which is an excellent translation. We use that here. Um, and, uh, but in the New American Standard, I think it, it has a, a little more, what I'd say, literal. And I kind of like the way uh, it says it there. And if we can put that uh, verse up there uh, for this one. He says, not that I have already obtained or have already become perfect okay we've said that but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus we're starting to move into some of these military and athletic kind of images here but the idea, he says, um, I, I, I lay hold of something. I like that picture. I grab it. Uh, and, and because I have been laid hold from something uh, but, but for, for this thing by Christ Jesus. Now, there's a really serious error. You've got to make sure when you see Paul doing some of the things, saying some of these things, you've got to make sure you don't think he, he is saying. Paul is not assigning human effort in any way to a role in salvation. Paul says the gospel, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And this is what we started with, the righteousness of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not as a result of your works, your laying hold, your straining, or anything else. So that no one can boast. And that's the problem with these folks. They were boasting about things. I don't know if you all... I've seen it in the last, I think about three or four days ago, there was a terrible accident on a really high bridge. I, I do not know where it was. Um, uh, the truck was mostly on the bridge, but the cab was hanging off it. Did y'all see that? This, this cab was just hanging, just 
by whatever. And, and, and some uh, poor trucker, she'd, she had been in there for uh, like 45 minutes. And I, the first responders, they, they did it pretty quick. They got a big crane there. And I, you can just see it from a distance. They stuck that crane out 50, 60 feet. And there's a long thing. And at the end of it, there's a fireman. God bless them. That's what they do. And uh, letting him down. And they, they said when he opened it, she was just praying, 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 which absolutely is a good thing to do. And then um, she, she, you know, she had to come over to get and grab her. She had to grab him, and they brought him up. And I don't think if she fainted, and from the sounds of what happened to her when they finally got her on land, she, she could have, um, I don't think he would have dropped her. I think that truck driver would absolutely understand what Paul's saying here. She laid hold of something because something greater than her laid hold of her. And so the apostle Paul is constantly trying to move through this as he explains to Christians the sovereignty of God and the grace of God and the activity and the responsibility of man and making sure everybody gets the proper credit where they're supposed to do and, and, and never confuse the two. And so there, earlier in Philippians chapter 2, you know, a verse we're well, uh, well um, familiar with, verses um, 12 through 13, he says, therefore, my beloved, so he's in the same letters. He's looking at all the stuff as he moves through it. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, okay, very positive towards them, so now, not only as in my presence, but also more in my absence, which that, that's a good thing, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, takes hold of you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so if it's true that God has grabbed hold of you, or as the ESV says, made you his own, then you are to make him your own, and you are to grasp hold of him. And so that's how Paul sees the whole thing. It is, he takes hold of Christ and his riches and his promises because he was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul, the work of God, the most natural response to it is never, well, good, I guess I don't do anything, but it's rather an intense love for Christ. Verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what is ahead. I do not consider I made it my own. The it is the this, which was the resurrection, the final product that God has, for the final um, blessing that God has for his people. But he says again, I make it my own. And again, you can guess what the other version says. I grab hold of it. He says that a second time too. But he says, I forget what lies behind. And he strains toward, straining towards what lies ahead. And there are a lot of different people trying to figure out what he means by forgetting. Does he mean Forget the failures, and there's always a good exhortation on that. We ought not to be um, forgetting things or, or constantly remembering things where our, our failures are in any way that would hinder our continued walk with Christ. Looking behind anybody who runs races, um, believe it or not, many years ago I did run races and sprints, and the coach would say, don't be looking at the guys next to you because you're going to lose a tenth of a second. And I guess that mattered. Others think he's talking about his pre-conversion, I mean his post-conversion, just don't rest on your laurels. Whatever you have done, you have done good. Just keep doing it. And there's some truth to that. 
But I think the best way to look, back, look at it here is he's looking at his, his, in a sense, his identity apart from Christ that he just finished talking about earlier in the chapter. I want to approach this when I see forgetting one thing but straining toward another at the very core of the Christian experience when Jesus came out preaching, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is here, repent and believe in the gospel. And we often talk about repentance. We think, stop doing the bad things. But it's not simply stop doing the bad things. It's stop grabbing and believing and embracing and being part of the entire identity that you have apart from Christ and then reach forward and grab and cling to him like everything mattered. I think this is what the Apostle Paul certainly did. He's not, he, certainly he, he was a persecutor of the church, he was a chief of sinners, but he also said, everything that made my identity apart from Christ, this becomes my life of repenting, walking away from that and embracing Christ. We become a new creation. Do not be conformed to the world. Repent. Don't forget that. On the other hand, be renewed or be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Grasp something else. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul, chief of sinners, was forgetting. Straining forward, reaching forward, some versions say. I like that phrase, to what lies behind. All of these are interesting metaphors. The this, the it, the metaphor here, what lies ahead. Well, he's going to tell us a little bit with that. But he does say strain forward for it. It's hard to say. Paul, the, the great um, preacher of grace, strain your way. And that's pretty serious. It means be very serious, intentional, deliberate. Act like it matters in our faith. I think part of this is simply to... Um, um, challenge what can be very, our very nominal existence as believers. He's not saying you're not saved. He is saying that's not how it ought to be, though. So what lies ahead? We go to verse 14. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The call of God. He called, it's precious to any, anybody in the Christian tradition. He calls Israel. He called Abraham. And Paul repeatedly says, as Peter does in the others, he calls us. Jesus even talks about that. Many are called, but few are chosen. The call goes out. But then he sort of qualifies it in just an interesting way. He calls it the upward call. And this is one of the things that you see Paul do in others. They don't have a good word. I mean, he, he goes to heaven, he sees things, he says, I can't even talk about them. But it's an upward call. It's this sense in which it just keeps going somewhere. I think some versions say the heavenward, heavenward call as a direction. Others think it's, it's talking about where the source is. But it, it's just kind of the upward, that, that call that looks to something further up and, and, and higher. You know, in C.S. Lewis's um, Narnia books, and I, I, we were talking about it earlier with somebody, but um, C.S. Lewis has got to be the most quotable guy in the world. If you ever read much of his stuff, you, you 
so many great quotes, but um, in his last book, the seventh book, The Last Battle, and it's all about the world, his Narnia world collapsing, and the Aslan coming in, and all being renewed, and all kinds of good things, and everybody um, that had died before that were in Aslan, and all those that were living then, the animals, and the talking animals, and not talking animals, dwarves, and everybody else, he has a whole bunch of them that have all come into this redemptive experience, and they're all rushing into this, in a sense, new creation, this new, um, this new Narnia. And they're running, running, running. Everybody's running. Nobody's winded. The old, the young. It's just a very good description of the way he kind of views it in that context of that fable, but talking about what, you know, his views of what the faith and what the goal of the faith is. And all they go, keep going and they get to some place, they stop. They wouldn't be tired, but it's so cool. And then somebody would say, farther in or, or farther up, further up and further, farther up and further in. And they go, yeah, it's farther up and further in. And they all just keep rushing in there. And every time somebody would stop, it's farther up and further in. And the, the picture is he, he's taking the Christian idea that you will live for eternity and you will never scratch the surface of the up and the in. Because we don't have language to express that. And so Paul calls it the upward call of God that's only found and made manifest through Christ Jesus. Now, I might be wrong. I, I, I would not be surprised if that's kind of what Paul's doing in Ephesians when he's talking about the fullness of God and the love of Christ. And, and at one point, he just says, I want you to be able to understand with the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth and then there's no object after it. And the commentaries go all over what that means. They've, the best answer is everything. But it's almost like I don't, can't even put a word that finally describes it. It's just simply the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. The further up, the further in, that's what it is. And it's simplicity, Paul says, to live as Christ. But that's why to die is gain. Our last verse, verses 15 and 16. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. In verse 4, 12, he said perfect. Remember the rich young ruler wanted to know how to be perfect. It's the same word here with mature. And this is one of those translations. So if you're reading it in the Greek, you would have caught the irony. And I'm sure he was making a point. You want to be mature, you want to be perfect, you want to know what perfection looks like in this world? Well, let's start with this. This attitude of pressing on toward the high call of God. Now, like he says, if someone thinks otherwise, God's going to reveal that to you. That is very gentle, very non-confrontational. I mean, Paul can be pretty confrontational. You just try to make a Gentile get circumcised and see what's going to happen. But, talking to this church, this is a good church in many ways. Trying to get everybody on board of all things. But his faith is not just simply, well, you know, I'll let you go. It's God is going to convince you of this by and by. His final admonishment, which is sort of an interesting end to this whole thing. But above all, let's hold true to what we have attained. 
I think the NIV maybe says, let's just live up to what we've attained. There's a number of places through Paul's scriptures. He says, let's maintain the standard. God's going to show you all kinds of things, but you've come so far. You're serving Christ. He's doing so much. He's going to bring you complete. As we said, Jesus Christ will be author and perfect your faith, but you maintain what you've attained to. That word is only used three times other than this in the scripture in the Greek. It's used once when it talks about the life of faith. It's once talked once about the fruit of the spirit. He uses this particular word of attained. And then the other is when he talks about the life that God has created. All things that God has done. Church, we are the new creation. As John says, we have not yet figured out what it's going to look like, but we know we're going to look like Jesus because we're going to see him as he is. We are made in the image of Christ. Let us work out, not work for, but work out that salvation as we press on to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Indeed, Heavenly Father, that great apostle, he exhorts us to have this kind of maturity, perfection within ourselves. Um, our, we just pray, Father, as he, he also said, the Lord will show you if you, you don't have that. That's our confidence. It's our confidence in Christ. And we pray for that um, to be real in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>